Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you um, remember back to this morning, which probably seems like a lifetime ago, Sylvia was talking about insights and about how you can't really figure out an insight. That sometimes it just comes, right? She was talking about how in the, the meditative space, the mind is sometimes gets spacious enough for wisdom to arise and for creative ideas to arise. This is called insight meditation, but you can't make an insight come if you try to figure it out and you get it right. All you end up saying is, yeah, pretty smart. And that's not an insight. An insight comes when you completely let go and you see something fresh because you've let go. And then there's that experience of, aha, oh, precisely because you were able to get out of your figuring mind and uh, just trust that something else will emerge. There's a, a line that I love from um, Third Zen Patriarch, the verses of Verses on the Faith Mind by Sengstan, the Third Zen Patriarch. It's probably my favorite piece of, of Dharma wisdom. And um, one line in there says, Stop talking and thinking, and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. Isn't that so? And we've been talking about and encouraging you, as well as ourselves, to just relax, let go, don't believe your thoughts, don't believe your moods, respect them, honor them, honor the conditioning that brings them about, but don't take them to be real. But it's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard. Isn't it amazing how hard it is to let go of the familiar, even when we know that it's suffering? It's, uh, the, the, the image that I have sometimes is, a, is that, that sad image of a child who's, uh, who's been abused and who's separated from the parent and saying, oh, no, 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 you know, don't, I don't, I don't want to go because they don't know any better because um, that's all they know. It's hard to let go of the familiar even when it's dukkha. I, many years ago, I took, um, I took some um, creative uh, art process Actually, uh, Anna Douglas teaches the creative retreat here, coming out of this um, 
this uh, approach to uh, to art, to drawing, by this um, created by this woman, uh, this really fabulous teacher, Michelle Kisu, um, who is besides a, a, an art and creative teacher, um, just a, a really brilliant. Um, spiritual teacher as well. It's like Vipassana on paper, where you, you just, I, I can't draw at all, by the way, or at least that's what my mind said. My sister was an, is an artist, or was an artist, so, you know, drawing wasn't my thing, but I figured, okay, I'm just going to really get into my, my challenging one, and you just kind of keep on moving, you keep you, you, if you feel stuck, you take another color, and if, if you're drawing on one part of the paper, you move to another part of the paper if you feel stuck, and you just let it keep on coming out and coming out. No judgment, no judgment. It's really, it's really quite a process. Anyway, Michelle went through, um, does her own drawing, and she was sharing a series of drawings that she, was, um, that she had done all on the theme of death that was coming up from her. And there was this one drawing, that, um, a painting, that um, I'll never forget. It was, she had died in the, in the dream, in the uh, drawing, and she was underground in her coffin. And it was dank there and, um, you know, kind of creepy crawly things going on down there. And there she was underground and there was a shaft from the the underground up to this buddha field up on top in the sky with lots of beautiful images of buddhas and and she was sharing in this public uh, uh, talk about what she was going through as she was doing the painting and she said you know it was really kind of she knew all she had to do was just decide to go up to the buddha realm but um, it was just so comfortable down there, you know. It, was, it seemed like it was going to be a lot of effort to get out of the dank and the, the maggots and all the other stuff. So, you know, she, it was amazing for her to see just how she had that choice, but the pull of the familiar and the effort that it would take to move up uh, uh, held her back for a little while. And then she drew a number of other paintings where she did go to the Buddha fields. And that's kind of what we are up against, that it's hard to let go of our habits and our thoughts, even when we know they don't serve us. How to do that? Well, it takes some kind of trust that it will be okay to let go. It takes some kind of faith that we can open to the unknown, to that next moment, whatever it is, and let go of the familiar. And um, that's what I want to talk about tonight. Faith, faith in the Dharma, trust, trust in this process the third Zen patriarch that Singston, it's called Verses on the Faith Mind. And there's this one line, the non-dual is one with the trusting mind. That when you really see you're not separate, there is the, the understanding, not only the willingness, but 
it seems so obvious that one can let go. Doubt is one of the hindrances we've talked about, and it's natural. It's one of the five hindrances that have been spoken about since these teachings have gone on, and it's something that everybody deals with. Even the Buddha dealt with it before he was enlightened, you know, like Mara coming until he put his hand down to the earth as the earth is witness for all the, all the lifetimes that I've, I've been practicing and trying this, is Mara saying, what gives you the right, makes you think that you have the right to become enlightened? And he touches the earth to dispel his doubt, the last of Mara's weapons. And Jesus on the cross saying, God, why hast thou forsaken me? So if you have some doubt, you've got some pretty good company as well. This is not anything to be ashamed of. But when we are taken over by doubt, we feel so alone. I don't know if I can meet the next moment. How can I do this? Where do I get my courage from? Faith in the, uh, in the teachings is called sadha, is in Pali, S-A-D-D-H-A. One of the five spiritual faculties that balances out wisdom and it's also translated as trust or confidence. Sometimes the word faith snags people. They're back in Sunday school or whatever their religious upbringing is, and it, you can find maybe some resistance. I don't know about faith. Well, think about it in terms of trust or confidence. It literally means to put one's heart upon, to really find some place besides the, the thinking or the rational mind that, that gives us the inspiration to move forward. And what it does when we feel it is that it connects us with something larger than ourself. So we're not feeling so alone. Now, in other spiritual traditions, Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Islam. In those theistic religions, we are shown that we can have faith in something external, faith in God or faith in, in Jesus or some spiritual figure. But Buddhism is sometimes called the path with no railings. There's not anything to hold on to like something out there that's going to save me. So uh, we have to find out what is it that we find our faith in? What, can we, what are we trusting? It's not that somebody is going to take care of us. But still, we are called to let go of our small self that says I'm alone and open to a bigger reality 
refuge, refuge in the truth. That's what it comes down to. Faith is different from hope. Sylvia mentioned that this morning. In hope, there's a line by uh, Seneca, the Roman philosopher. It says, you cease to be afraid when you cease to hope because hope is accompanied by fear. Now, I write almost every email, hope you're doing well, hope things are okay, and certainly I can hope for a particular outcome in some election or something like that. But when you really look at it, there can be mixed in with that hope, oh my goodness, I hope, I hope it works out. Lord, if it doesn't work out the way I want, what are these next few years going to be like? You know what I mean? <laughs> Sometimes it works out. But faith is not thinking that everything is going to work out. Things sometimes work out and sometimes they don't. Faith is more a sense that you can trust that the awareness will meet the moment when it comes. You can rearrange in your mind so many times, I hope maybe it'll work out like this and can I fix it like that and arrange the furniture. I think Sylvia was talking about that earlier. But you don't know what it's going to be like. And you can spend your whole life anticipating what it's going to be like and trying to ward off what you fear. That's a 24-7, 365, very exhausting process. Whereas when you really have faith in the Dharma or trust in, trust in this process, you're, it's not even you're trusting in yourself, but you're trusting that the awareness will meet the moment when it comes. It always has. I mean, everything in your life has brought you up to this point, right? Maybe there have been times when you look back and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that. So maybe there was more awareness or less awareness. But as it keeps on unfolding, you're always given another opportunity to see what's happening right now. And if there's enough wisdom, if you get in touch and listen carefully enough to hear what's inside, then you can see, oh, this is, given the information, the best response I can do right now. And that changes everything when you're not looking forward to how you can figure things out in the future to seeing what's called for right now. This idea of trust or faith, it takes a leap of courage to let go somehow of that fear or to feel the fear directly. Oh my goodness, there's so much fear in there. Can I be with that? That's the secret. 
that fear is the forward edge of your practice. You know, fear is not the enemy. We all have fear, and it's, it's kind of like it's the, the membrane between the familiar and the unfamiliar, between the known and the unknown. Fear is, I, I love Jack's way of saying it, fear is saying, about to grow. Because it's telling you you're onto new territory. And so it's natural. And if you can see fear as an ally in that way, a kind of scout, then learning to open up to it is, is really a doorway to your opening, your unfolding. But it does take a leap of courage to not only feel your fear, to see your mind, to be completely honest with what goes on inside, to be honest with our shame, with our smallness, with our pettiness. You know, sometimes when you, you go into an interview, I've mentioned this to a few people, you know, all your armoring is down when you're doing this, and you see it more obviously in the interviews. Uh, and you can kind of feel, you, you ever notice how, how you feel going in an interview, you know? You're probably not the person who's got it all together when you walk in into an interview. I think of myself like about, oh, six or seven years old as I'm going in. There you are, completely exposed and vulnerable, which might be a little bit dicey, but it's like in that vulnerability, when all your armoring is down, and I don't just mean in the interview, I mean in this process, all of our armoring is down, we're so much more malleable, there's so much more possibility of change, because we're not hardened and stuck in our usual way of being. But it means that there's no place to hide. To be uncompromisingly honest with our shame, with our love, with how much we care. To let go into the silence. You know, I've spoken to a few people about this. You know, they're just on the verge of something really profound. And it gets really quiet. It's like, Oh my goodness, what if I really let go? What next? You ever have that feeling? How many people have had that feeling? Yeah. It's good to see you're not alone. What next? What if I really relax and let go? And isn't it interesting, just on the other side of that, that willingness to do it, is the freedom that you so want. I'm, I'm just recalling um, being around Punjaji, who I've mentioned before, and he was with uh, this friend who wanted to let go and, and didn't know how, and, and Punjaji was saying, you know, come, make the leap, make the leap, just let go, let go. And, the, and, and my friend said, well, can, is there a guarantee? Can you, can you write me a guarantee? Yeah. No guarantee. That, that, that would be, that would be, I would be fraud. That would be fraud if I gave you a guarantee. That's not how it works. Just let go, let go. Okay, 
just a little guarantee, you know. <laughs> and here it is, just the peace and the freedom that we want so much, just on the other side of that, that chasm. Just want to ask you, what do you, just reflect for a moment, what do you resist most? What do you, what gets in the way of your letting go? When do you contract in doubt and fear? Just take a moment and go inside. No shame in it, just name it, just see. That's your forward edge in practice. There you are. You're wondering where, what next? Here it is, right there, for many years at the end of a, of a sitting. I would say to myself, just a little reminder, may I have faith, trust, and patience to let the Dharma unfold perfectly in its own way. Just a reminder to myself, okay, that's where it's at. Please, may I have that? Here's uh, one of my favorite Dana Falls poems. I read this one evening here. It's called Let It Go. Let go of the ways you thought life would unfold. The holding of plans or dreams or expectations. Let it all go. Save your strength to swim with the tide. The choice to fight what is here before you now will only result in struggle, fear, and desperate attempts to flee from the very energy you long for. Let go. Let it all go and flow with the grace that washes through your days, whether you receive it gently or with all your quills raised to defend against invaders. Take this on faith. The mind may never find the explanations that it seeks, but you will move forward nonetheless. Let go and the wave's crest will carry you to unknown shores beyond your wildest dreams or destinations. Let it all go and find the place of rest and peace and certain transformation. So how to do that, how to just make that leap over that chasm, how or relax the contraction? Well, besides somehow finding the courage you have to be willing to make mistakes. If you're concerned about being a perfect yogi that doesn't have to deal with any troubles, then you're just playing it safe. I remember one uh, motivational speaker who uh, she said, most people are just content with having a C average in life. They just, they don't want to blow it. You know, but there they are on the sidelines looking at these 
other people who are just going for it and saying, wow, look at them do that. Gee, that's amazing. I wish I could do that. But they're too much playing it safe to find out what their true destiny is. You have to be willing to step out of, the, out of your comfort zone, make mistakes, and just see. It becomes an adventure. When I was young, when I, when I was very young, I, uh, we used to go from Queens, my house in Elmhurst, Jackson Heights area, if you're from Queens, to, uh, to my grandparents' house in Brooklyn, near Rockaway most Sundays, at least a couple of times a month. And it used to mystify me. We'd get in the car and somehow, you know, 45 minutes later or whenever, we would end up at my grandparents' house. And I remember saying to my father, I'm never going to be able to do that. How do you do that? How do you know how to get there? It just seemed, you know, beyond my comprehension, all those turns and streets and highways and stuff like that. And, um, and I remember him saying, oh, sure, you'll learn. No problem. Don't worry, you're going to learn. I said, no, it just seems so hard. He said, look, the first, <laughs> the first time you do it, mm, you'll... You might get lost here. Oh, I have to go on this way. And then you might get lost there. Oh, no, I go this way. He said, it's okay to get lost. Don't worry. You know, so you make a few turns. If you do make a mistake, you can always come back. And you're going to learn in no time. It's good, really good advice. But we like to set up our life where we don't make mistakes. And another story uh, that I sometimes share, really great wisdom that's served me very well. Uh, I was at a crossroads in my life. If you happen to be at a crossroads in your life, wondering what is going to happen next, or maybe you're in a transition, <laughs> we're always in transition in our life, just not trying to figure out what choice to make. Um, it can be a little bit disconcerting. You don't want to blow it. And I was at a crossroads in my life. This was in uh, 1977. And um, I'd been teaching school for a number of years, for uh, oh, about eight or nine years in New York City. And I loved it for many years. But then it was starting to get a little old. And when you're, when you're, if your heart isn't in teaching, it can get old very fast. Any teachers here? By the way, I bow to you, and particularly um, school teachers. You know that's that's the front lines and probably as important as any job we can we can support. Anyway, I was there for a while. I was there for some time, but uh, I just felt like there was something else calling, um, and I thought, well, maybe I'll work on staff at IMS, the Meditation Center, that had been open about a year. That seemed pretty good to be just held in the Dharma. Or maybe I'd move out to California. That seemed like a good alternative. Or maybe I'll finally have my Asian experience. I 
I always dreamed about going to Asia. Right, maybe this was the time. But I didn't want to blow it. And I didn't want to, I was a little afraid of leaving my teaching job because I was earning, you know, pretty good. $17,000 a year. <laughs> and that was big money. I was by myself, you know. I, what was I going to leave and how was I going to support myself? So um, I went round and around trying to figure it out and uh, couldn't. And then I finally decided. Every summer I was out at Naropa in Boulder and I went to um, this very wise man whose name was Reverend Miller. He was a psychic in Denver. Five dollars a reading. <laughs> Wasn't in it for the money. He just was really wise. And I had gone to him a number of times before and I presented the, the different options and I said, um, you know, there's this, there's this, I, don't, I just don't, you know, what should I do? And he said, um, I thought for a moment, he said, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I thought, oh gosh. He said, but I will tell you one thing. I said, yeah. He said, it doesn't matter. And I said, what do you mean it doesn't matter? That's my life you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, he said, he believed in spirit guides and devas and things like that. You know, that's how he related to everything out there. And he said, um, well, you know, if you're stuck in indecision and you're frozen in fear, then your guides can't help you. You're just stuck. But as soon as you put yourself in motion and take the next step, you start seeing, oh, okay, oh, maybe this does feel right. Or you start going, like my dad would say, maybe you'd start going a little and you say, no, this isn't the right way. I think I'll try the next option. Or you put yourself in motion and something opens up that you had no idea could have been there. So as you let yourself come out of the paralysis, your devas can, can help you. It doesn't matter. Just go by what feels right right now and take the next step. Best $5 I ever spent. And this has helped me so much in those times. Certainly, you don't want to put yourself in motion unless you have to, if you're just still listening inside and seeing okay, what does feel like the right thing to do? Just listen a bit. And when you get clear on, of your choices, what feels like the best one? Even if it changes next week, that's okay. You just start allowing the universe to support you. A very, another very wise man, mentor, said, you know, you don't have enough information yet to know what it's going to be like over there. So just put yourself in motion right now. And don't be afraid of making mistakes. This is from Nadine Stair, 85-year-old, writing towards the end of her life. If I had my life to live over, I'd try to make more mistakes next time. I'd relax. I'd limber up. I'd be sillier than I have on this trip. I'd be crazier. I would be less hygienic. <laughs> I would take more chances. I would take more trips. I'd climb more mountains, swim more rivers, and watch more sunsets. I'd eat more ice cream and less beans. 
I would have more actual trouble, uh, trouble sorry, I would have more actual troubles and fewer imaginary ones. You see, I'm one of those people who lives prophylactically and sensibly and sanely hour after hour, day after day. Oh, I've had my moments and if I had to do it over again, I'd have more of them. In fact, I'd try to have nothing else, just moments one after another, instead of living so many years ahead of each day. I've been one of those people who never goes anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water bottle, a gargle, a raincoat, and a parachute. <laughs> if I had to do it over again, I'd travel lighter than I have. If I had my life to live over, I would start barefooted earlier in the spring and stay that way later in the fall. I would ride on merry-go-rounds. I'd pick more daisies. Not to be afraid to make mistakes, because then you can trust that the awareness will know what to do. Where do we get our sources of faith? How can we trust enough to make mistakes and let it be okay? Well, we are all touched by what is called bright faith, where we get inspired. Probably everybody here, for me, the very first inspiration was when I um, when I read Autobiography of a Yogi. Anybody ever read that? How many people have read that? Okay, you remember? The first, first time I read it, you know, the first few pages, it was like by the third page there were eight miracles, you know. And I'm saying, come on, you know, really now, you know, are you... Next page, three more. And by the, like the tenth or twelfth page, I was going, oh yeah, and then what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy wasn't spending his, his life just, you know, lying. That his whole life was about the truth. And I started to stretch my, uh, my mind. Well, gosh, what if some of these are true? You know, I just have to reorient everything. And I started to open up, expand my consciousness beyond this little thin spectrum of reality, a band on the spectrum of reality. And then... When I met Joseph Goldstein, uh, I had tremendously bright faith. And just, it was clear, he knew something that I wanted to know, even though he didn't look very different from me. And he sounded like he was from Brooklyn and I was from Queens. And he was just such a, you know, he, he, was, he wasn't the big regal guru. Still, he knew something. And I said, wow, if he can do it, maybe I can. And uh, I got so inspired when the thought that I didn't have to be run by my neurotic thoughts, it had never occurred to me before as a possibility. But he was saying, yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. And then uh, I remember bright faith when I heard those words. I said, I think a couple of days ago, the Buddha saying, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. Wow, it's possible. What about you? Do you remember? Or who inspires you? What inspires you now? Where, where have you gotten that spark from that has said, yeah, this is worth going for. This is true. How did you get here? Something must have lit a fire underneath you especially since 
this is a retreat where you've had to do retreats before, so you know, you've come back for more. Something has touched you deeply, whether it's somebody who's inspired you or somebody who believes in you. That bright faith, that inspiration is really magical, but it can only go so far. We then look for ourselves as you're doing, as you've been doing. And another level of faith is you hear the teachings and there's reasoning and, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Okay, I'll check it out. That's another level of, of faith where you, you're philosophically sorting things out and saying, yeah, maybe so. I remember when, when Joseph talked about uh, the second noble truth, the cause of suffering is attachment, and he used the the graphic image holding on to to changing experience is like rope burn. Oh, that makes sense. Now, if I could only remember that, okay, but you start putting it into practice. Oh, yeah, there's the, the truth of dukkha, or there's the truth of karma, that there's causes and conditions that are creating an unfolding reality and that change is possible. If it were not possible to free the mind, I would not tell you to do so, the Buddha saying, saying, change is possible and we can get inspired by people really changing. I want to share with you just a, a story that I love as a personal story. If you wonder is change possible? Oh, I might be, you know, I, I'm only, you know, I'm, I'm already 30 and I've put in too much conditioning to change. Or, oh, I'm 50, you know. Well, I want to share with you a story about my mom, who is um, now 90. She'll be 91 in August. And uh, last year, I visited her and we were... Um, I was doing uh, all this research on gratitude for this course that I teach, and I went to visit her for a week, just the two of us. Uh, My sister was out of town. My sister lives very close to my mom, and they are very close. And uh, I gave her an article to read about all the health benefits that come from gratitude. Well, my mom happens to be somebody who really sees the glass half empty, you know, she, she, that's what she does, you know. <laughs> she's, she's great. We have a great relationship. But she said, well, you know, I've been doing it for a long time the other way, you know. She says, I know that I'm blessed. She really does know she's blessed when she thinks about it. But it's so hard to remember because, you know, she's just used to complaining about this went wrong, and oh gosh, it's so hot out today. Oh, it's so cold out today. Or she lives in Marina del Rey, so the, you know, she just doesn't have that bad weather. But I said, Mom, would you want to try changing? She said, Yeah, if I could, I would. But you know, I'm I'm pretty. You, I don't think you can uh, you can uh, you can teach this dog a new trick. And I said, if you remembered. To, to how much you were blessed, 
She said, if I could remember, I said, okay, let's play a little game that came to me. I said, every time you complain, if I just remind you, and, and you say, and I'm really very blessed. She said, okay, let's try it. Well, that week, I had a lot of opportunities, you know, you know, oh God, I'm not doing so well in this Scrabble game. We play Scrabble a lot. I'm just, mm. and, and my life is very blessed. <laughs> well, we did this for a week and then I, I called her up. I made sure I called her up the few days after I left, you know, one after, one day after another, mom, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, a friend who, uh, who lives near her picked it up and was going to encourage her. Well, after a few weeks, my sister came back from, uh, she was out of town. And um, my mom amazingly just kept it up. And she said, my, my sister said, what did you do to mom? <laughs> and, uh, but amazingly, it kept on and we've, to this day, this is this is uh, over a year later. This is our our game, and she wrote me this. This is part of a poem that she wrote for my birthday uh, in April. This was like nine months later, or seven months later, and uh, this is part of it. She said, um, "Ninety is just fine with me. I no longer rant and rave about where the world is heading." and my exclusive job to save. I wallow in contentment and know that I am blessed, awakening to the joy of living at its best. I'm happier than I've ever been and truly mean each word. The thoughts that cause the worries now all seem so absurd. Though my eyesight has been dimmed, she started losing her sight, I see clearer than before. The glass is not half empty, it's overflowing, to be sure. So if you think you're too far gone, you can teach any dog new tricks. Change is possible. The most profound source of faith is your own faith. I want to just briefly mention there's also the refuges, refuge in the Buddha, in the Dharma, in the Sangha, all sources of deep faith. But the, your own faith, from when, if you have the capacity and the courage to keep looking for yourself, you see for yourself, oh, it's really true. This is really true. On my second retreat, I had this, sometimes the insights kind of sneak up on you, and I had this incredible valley of doubt that I was a phony, everybody around was a phony, the teachers didn't know what they were talking about. Do you ever have that feeling? Uh, maybe. And uh, I was really getting down there. And I, uh, then I went up to, I couldn't sit, I couldn't walk. I just said, okay, time to chill out. And I went up by my cubicle. It was the same retreat center that uh, Sylvia talked about where they had the curtains, the cubicles in Toledo, Washington. 
and on my, on my table, my light table, is a picture of Neem Karoli Baba, who kind of reminds me to keep things a bit light uh, from Be Here Now, the, the guru Be Here Now. And he was looking back up at, back at me and he's saying, hmm, getting pretty freaked out, aren't we here? And in one moment, this whole wave of incredible doubt just broke and said, oh, God, wow. I woke up from that. I got so excited because all of a sudden, all this confidence came. I saw I had conquered doubt. That's what I said in my mind. I've conquered doubt. You probably can hear something around the corner, right? I couldn't, I couldn't wait to tell my teacher to, to go to, to an interview with Joseph to tell him I had conquered doubt. Unfortunately, the interview was about, you know, eight hours from the time that that happened. And I went through every mind state possible from exhilaration to con and confidence to exhaustion to crashing to confusion to uh, despair to you know and i went into the interview and i and joseph said um, so how's it going and i <laughs> i sighed in utter exasperation and innocence <sighs> it's always changing <laughs> i said you got it that's it said, oh yeah you keep on saying that don't you <laughs> Oh, I think I got it. It really does change. They sneak up from behind you, but you have seen something true and real. Somebody came in beautifully uh, sharing a, an insight that she had had, that she remembered from, from uh, a few years before, where she just saw for herself, oh, in this entire world, there is not even one speck of dust to hold on to. She wasn't just giving a line. It had come to her. There's in this world of change, there's nothing to hold on to. And she got so happy when she saw that. There's just this moment. That's all there is. And as she was recalling it and, and reliving it, I was getting a transmission. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, thanks for reminding me. Yeah. What have you seen that you absolutely know to be true? Just think for a moment. You might close your eyes. What do you know to be true? Have you seen things change? Have you seen what happens when you try to hold on? Have you got a glimpse that there's something beyond your small sense of who you are? What do you know? There's your source of verified faith. Don't underestimate it. You've been touched by something really deeply. And even just a glimpse starts that whole possibility of seeing things new. There's a, a line I love by Oliver Wendell Holmes. He says, a mind 
stretched by a new idea does not shrink back to its original dimensions. Isn't that a great line? A mind stretched by a new idea does not shrink back to its original dimensions. Now, that doesn't mean you're always living in that new reality. But once you've seen it, there's something you that doesn't, in you that doesn't forget. And then it's just practicing, you know, putting your, what does he say, your tush on the cush, how he says, you know, putting your butt on the cushion and just keeping on looking for being open to the truth. And as you do, you're recreating those neural pathways in your mind or you're frequently thinking and pondering upon something that inspires you, a new way of, of seeing things. And then the verified faith ultimately transforms into unshakable faith. So what do we bring to make this happen? We can find our inspiration, we can reflect on the teachings, we can keep on looking for the truth, we can take refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha. Ultimately, I think our secret ingredient for doing this journey is our own sincerity, our sincerity of intention, which we talked about earlier. There's some place in you that is calling you that you can't ignore. And the more you listen to it, the more you'll be led on. This is from Punjaji. The desire for freedom is the most intense desire. All other desires are on the surface. They rise and fall, you see. The desire for freedom is intense. Once you hear it, you must respond to it. When you respond, this desire will bring you home. It will continue to trouble you if it's not fulfilled. This desire must be fulfilled whether you like it or not. And the Sargadat says, your sincerity will guide you. Devotion to the goal of freedom and will make you abandon all theories and systems. Whatever name you give it, will or steady purpose or one-pointedness of mind, you come back to earnestness, sincerity, honesty. When you are earnest like this, you bend every incident, every second of your life to your purpose. In the teachings, this is called one of the bases of success. Uh, Carol mentioned Chanda uh, is one of the bases of, of, of power, bases of success. This is called Chitta Idipada, where you've been touched by something so deeply. You've been touched by the Dharma and you can't forget. You can't get it out of your mind and it keeps on calling you. And when it when it's hit you very strongly, then everything else kind of is secondary to that yearning for freedom. And the more you can stay in touch with it, the more it will carry you through, no matter how strong your doubts are, no matter how great your fears, no matter how confused you get, I mean, just think about it. All of those fears and doubts and confusions 
have not been strong enough to deter you from being here. There's something even stronger calling you on. And it's key, crucial, that you stay in touch with that. How much you are pulled to this. I'll share a, a story that some of you might have heard that, that really has been a, a, a key for me in keeping, keeping my connection to that truth. This is when I, I was first in... Um, I had gotten into practice and been practicing for uh, um, a little over a year. And after I'd come back from Colorado each summer, I'd go, go to New York. And there was no sitting group at the time in New York. I was all by myself, and it seemed kind of lonely. And uh, Joseph uh, told me that Ramdas was doing a, a class in, in New York. And he knew that I had, was very connected to Maharaji and to Ramdas. Uh, I went to, to see Ramdas to see if I could be in this small, small, small class and uh, told Ramdas what my practice was and that I was so um, you know, committed to, uh, to the Dharma. And, uh, but it's a, a bhakti kind of class you know, where there's real devotion. And we were going to see whether it fit for me to do it. And he, uh, he said, well, let me ask you... Um, do you, uh, how do you feel about Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And I said, I like Jesus? <laughs> he said, no, but do you love Jesus? I said, you know, I think he's just very inspiring with his teachings. I don't know if I love him the way maybe I'm supposed to or you think I should. <laughs> He said, okay, well, uh, how about Krishna? Do you love Krishna? I like Krishna. <laughs> you know, just this expression of the divine and play and the lila and, you know, I, I really like Krishna. I don't know if I love him. And he said, well, well, how about God? Do you love God? And I said, well, you know, Ramdas, um, I was raised Jewish, and I really honor it and really respect it, but my image of God when I was growing up was this big, powerful man with a beard and a book and a pen and saying, you're going to have a good day and you're going to have a bad day. And it more put the fear of God into me than the love of God. So, um, when I hear the word God, I translate it as Dharma. Because that, to me, is like the, the, the perfection of it all and, and what, what really uh, I can surrender to. And he said, um, okay, well, do you love the Dharma? And with that one, I didn't hesitate. I said, oh, yeah. And he said, you sure? I said, oh, yeah. Then he said, well, have you ever told the Dharma that you loved it? I said, no. He said, well, go ahead. I said, what do you mean? He said, just tell, tell it. He said, say, I love you, Dharma. I said, really? He said, yeah, 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 I'll say it with you. You say it, I'll say it. I felt like a jerk. I said, okay. 
I love you, Dharma. <laughs> and he said, I love you, Dharma. And I, he said, keep on up. I said, I love you, Dharma. I love you, Dharma. And about the, oh, fourth or fifth time, I just felt it once. I said, I love you, Dharma. And at that point, tears started pouring down my face. And he said, oh, there's hope for you yet. <laughs> it was a very important moment for me, especially in my, my Buddhist training. Because sometimes we don't realize how much we're in love with this stuff, how much we love the truth, how much we love goodness, how much we love freedom. And I just want you to take a moment right now and get in touch with what it is that you love. Because everybody here loves the Dharma. Just let yourself feel it for a moment. Whether you use the word Dharma or God or truth, let yourself feel it. That's your greatest source of faith. That's where it comes from. That's where you can't pretend, you can't ignore it. You have to keep on continuing if the channel is open and you can hear it. That's all you need to do. Just keep on listening inside to what's true in there. Listening inside, it'll draw you home. And that will transform your faith into devotion, into devotion to the truth, devotion to freedom, devotion to awakening, however you call it. We all have everything we need to make this journey. Don't doubt it for a moment. I'll just close with one of my favorite passages. from Shantideva. As a blind person feels upon finding a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. It is the nectar of immortality that delivers us from death, the treasure that lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life, the tree that gives shade to us when we roam about scorched by life, the bridge that takes us across the stormy river of life, the cool moon of compassion that calms our mind when it is agitated, the sun that dispels darkness, the butter made from the milk of kindness by churning it with the Dharma. It is a feast of joy to which all are invited. 
So let's sit for a moment. As a blind person feels upon finding a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.